Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au. First Samuel chapter 14, reading from verse 1. If you haven't had a handout, just put your hand up and someone will um, pass it on to you. First Samuel chapter 14. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass of Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Abijah, who was wearing the ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Senem. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Who knows? Maybe the Lord will act on our behalf for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And so, Father, we come before you today as your people. And I just thank you that we gather together not to listen to a person, above all else, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we invite you by the Holy Spirit to come. We're hungry to hear a word from you. We know, Father God, that we're not here by accident. That you've ordained for us to be here. You have a plan and a purpose for our lives. And Father, I pray that this word would come alive in our spirits, that you would speak a word into our hearts even today, bind every distraction, bind every uh, fear and intimidation in the name of Jesus. Just let there be freedom this morning to speak and to receive the word of the Lord. And I thank you for what you're going to do today in Jesus' name, that lives will be changed, eternities will be rewritten because of this word this morning, I pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, on this last Sunday in 2021, I want to speak on the subject of risk-taking. It's actually an unusual subject um, that I want to speak on. You know, when we're going through crises, uh, you know, general wisdom would say, just, you know, stay put, let's just let the storm pass. And then when the storm has passed, then we can see what we do next. But just felt to preach on this particular word. And, um, and I just pray that God would speak to us. Maybe someone needs to hear this word today. Risking is an inevitable part of everyday life. We take a risk every time we drive. Uh, every time we eat a meal, we actually take a risk. Uh, in Italian, there's a saying that says you fight with death when you eat. Uh, we, that's just, that's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, that's very encouraging. Uh, every time you cross the road um, or, or we even become friends with someone, we take a risk. Risk is defined as to take an action without regard to the possibility of danger involved in it. It's to take an action without regard for or to the possibility. We know that there's some danger involved in this, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to take a step anyway. 
We have this strange relationship with risk. On the one hand, we avoid it as much as possible. We want to secure a job, secure investments, secure relationships. But on the other hand, we love the rush that risky activities bring. Uh, that's why people ride motorbikes, go surfing, skydiving, bungee jumping. God bless you. Uh, we all have the desire for this zest that life brings. And so people take some risky activities. One researcher said, the most striking thing about highly effective people is how little they have in common. Still one trait stands out, a willingness to risk. Highly successful leaders ignore conventional wisdom and take chances. Their stories inevitably include the defining moment or a key decision where they took a significant risk and experienced breakthrough. Tony Campolo uh, spoke of a study that was done in the US where 50 people over the age of 95 were asked a very simple question. I've referred to this before, but it's powerful. If you had to live your life all over again, what would you do differently? Well, just, it's just a great question to ask. If you could live your life all over again, how would you live it differently? And it's a good question to ask people that have been there, done that, and got the T-shirts to prove it. There were three main responses that came back uh, when they were asked this question and three things that they would do. The 95-year-old people who would ref were reflecting on their life, if they could do it all over again, what would they do differently? The one thing they would, first thing they would do is they would reflect more. They would just stop and reflect more. You know, we, we, we race through life. We, we, we race through life. But as you go, get older, you have more time to reflect. And, and so often we miss the opportunity. We miss the now that we're experiencing. We're always either looking back to the good old days or hoping that one day in the future something might be different. And in so doing, we miss what we have right now. They would reflect more. Think about what's more important, what's really important in life. Secondly, they would do more things that would live on after they were dead. That's an incredible, that's a spiritual principle right there. They would do things that have eternal significance. They would do more of those kind of things. Bible tells us that when we give a glass of water to someone who's thirsty, we're doing something that God would do himself and that's being recorded in the heavens. And finally, they would risk more. They didn't talk about success or failures because when you're 95, your successes don't amount to much. How true that is. Your gold watch doesn't really mean anything. Your failures can turn out to be quite wonderful. Time has a way of changing our perspective on things that have happened in life. And one of the things these old people said is that they would have taken more risks in life. That the times when they felt most alive was when they had taken risks. Today, I want to speak about a time in, uh, when someone in the Bible took a risk. His name was Jonathan. And I pray that we might be inspired to step out of the boat, to reach out in faith, and be used by God to do things that are amazing in our lifetime. So just to give you a bit of background to the story Saul had reigned in Israel one year and uh, his first job was to deal with the Ammonites. The Bible says Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and, and all of the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we'll be subject to you. 
Now, Nahash is an amazing kind of guy. He's the kind of guy you have a coffee with. You just love spending time with dudes like Nahash. And what happens, he surrounded the city of, one of the cities of Israel. And he talks to, and, and, you know, they say to him, you know, listen, why don't we do a treaty? Why don't we just, you know, let's just do a treaty of some description. Let's sort this out. As and Nahash is such a nice guy. This is what he says. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you so and so bring disgrace on all of Israel. This guy, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> Seriously. He doesn't, he doesn't want to beat them up. or no, I just want your right eye. This crazy dude. Anyway, when King Saul hears about he's not a nice guy, by the way. When King Saul hears about this, he gets mad. So he takes a pair of oxen, cuts them up into pieces, chop, 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 sends them by Australia Post to all of the tribes, and he says, show up for war or this is going to happen to your oxen and maybe to you as well. Well, they did gather, and uh, they made mash out of Nahash. And then uh, Saul then, uh, out of getting some confidence from this victory, he attacks a garrison of the Philistines, and they're back in war. Philistines were a major world power. They had the secret weapon called steel, iron. They had swords, they had shields, chariots with metal wheels. And so the Philistines assemble to teach these Israelites a lesson on who is powerful. The Bible tells us um, how powerful the Philistines were. The Philistines assembled to uh, fight Israel with 3,000 chariots uh, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. They camped in this valley called Michmash, which says what sort of battle this is actually going to be. It's not going to be a good one. So when the Israelites saw how bad their situation was, the Bible says they were just a little bit distressed. They were very much distressed. So what does it mean for all of us? What does this story mean for all of us? Well, we need to understand as Christians that we're involved in a battle. How many people know that to be true? A battle between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us that. And we as Christians need to make a decision. Are we going to get involved in building the kingdom of God, fighting the forces of darkness, or are we going to be passive observers, allow the enemy to take ground? What is interesting to see is how the Israelites responded to this battle. There were five different reactions. We are involved in a battle. The moment we give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not, we're not sent off to some island, some resort somewhere. We're instantly a commission into a, into a battle, into a fight between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God. And you know that battle can be intense at times. We, the church, are involved in a battle. We're, we're, we're involved in a battle of establishing the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean a physical kingdom. That means that's a spiritual kingdom. We're called to take ground in the name of Jesus. The enemy is forever taking ground. And God has called us to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. That we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take ground in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. That we're to enter into every sphere of government and, and into every sphere of society and take ground for his kingdom in Jesus' name. 
So often in church, we have this very narrow mind about what we're called to do. And we see the ministry as the only ministry that really we're involved in. But I believe that God wants to put Christians in every sector of society, in politics, in the media, in, 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 uh, in the creative areas. Why not? It's where Christians need to be all over the place. And, and God does that. He puts people into different areas to be able to be an influence for Jesus Christ, a voice for Jesus Christ. I often, I often think about, you know, those that God has called into the parliament, in the area of parliament, and I, I just thank God that there are people that have a, a passion uh, for the area of politics and, and, and they, 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 they give their lives to the calling to be in, in politics where they can be a voice for Jesus Christ. And I thank God uh, for that. We're involved in a battle. And um, what's interesting is that this battle that the Israelites were in is the kind of battle we're involved in. And there were five different reactions to this particular battle. And we see all five of these reactions in the church today. Firstly, the Bible tells us that some responded to the crisis by joining the enemy. Some joined the enemy. Bible says these Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp. So some, some Hebrews responded to the battle by joining the Philistine army. We're living in a time where some sectors of the church are abandoning the truth, watering down the gospel, discarding very clear doctrines in the Bible, and joining the enemy. Shouldn't surprise us because the Bible says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's a great scripture right there. Some will abandon the faith, which means they were in the faith, but they've chosen to abandon the faith to follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. May God protect us. May God protect us as the church of Jesus Christ. One of the marks of the end times will be deception. That means we will, we, at one stage, we will be in the truth, following after God, but slowly, 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 we will be deceived by the enemy. And we need to all understand that we can all be deceived. That's, that's the first principle. Pastor Joe, how do I protect myself from deception? Number one, understand that you can be deceived. Oh, Pastor Joe, you don't understand. I've been in church for 20 years. I've been in church for 30 years. Well, you're a prime candidate. The, 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 the first way to protect ourselves is to understand that all of us can be deceived. It's the first step. Second thing that we need to do is, is love the truth. Just love the truth. It's I want to hear the truth. It's when you pray. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. See if there's offensive way in me. Lead me in the way of our lust. I want to know the truth. It's developing relationships with people and saying, hey, if you ever see me go off the road, I want to hear the truth from you. Number three, be part of the church. What's going to protect us from deception is be connected to the local church. Stay connected to the local church. There is something very powerful about being connected to the local church. And by connected, I don't mean just attend. I mean be connected to the local church. That means I submit to the authorities that God has placed within the context of the local church. That, that means I, I respect the positions that God has placed. Oh, but I don't like 
so-and-so and I don't think so-and-so, he's not very good, so he's not perfect, he's not this, I know what he, it, it, none of us are perfect, but God has placed earthen vessels within the context of the local church to protect us. I, I have my own protection. I'm, I'm the pastor, but God has a, there's a leadership team here in this church whose job is to protect, who, who protects me from going off the rails because I know it can happen to me too. And, 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 and if, if I could easily start to lift myself up above the, above the authorities that God has placed here in this church to protect us as a whole church, and I could start saying, but they don't know anything. What would they know? They don't know what I'm going, and so on and so on. And lift myself up. As soon as I see people lift themselves up above the authority, I say, you're a candidate for deception. And the enemy wants to do that in all of us. The enemy wants to do that in all of us. One of the ways people deal with a crisis is they join the other side. These are the kind of people that say, if you can't beat them, join them. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going to the other side. Second thing some of them did was they walked away from the battle. Bible says some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. A lot of people in churches today just want to be soothed. They don't like confrontation. They don't like battles. I want everybody to be happy. Just enjoy life. Jesus said, if any man follows me, he must count the cost. And he gave two examples. One was a building and one was a battle. And this is what the church of Jesus Christ will always be doing. Building and fighting. Building each other up and then fighting the enemy. What is Sunday morning all about? Sunday morning is all about building each other up. Sunday morning is all about encouraging one another. Sunday morning is all about refueling our spiritual tanks. That's what Sunday morning is all about. It's about building each other up. And then we go out into the kingdom, into, into the world, and, and we fight the, the, the forces of darkness. These people didn't want to fight. So they just wanted to go to a place where it was easy, a place where there were no battles. Third group of people re responded to the crisis by hiding in caves. The Bible says they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Notice they hid in the area. They didn't hide outside of the area. So these are the kind of people that could see the battle, could see what was going on, but they, and they hid around there just to be able to watch the battle. So many Christians want to be close to the battle just in case we win. And then they can say, well, glory to God. We always knew we were going to win. They're like popcorn. You know, all of a sudden they pop out and they're all white. Halo's all fixed. But if they lose, well, at least they won't get hurt because they're hiding. Some sportsmen like to watch the game but not ever play the game. It's like watching the game. They never play the game. These people usually think they're the most talented sportsmen, the most talented coaches, the most, these are the best referees you're ever going to find. They're in, the, they're in the, you know, the arena. You know, they're in, not afraid to share their wisdom, but they never get in the arena. The grandstand. Thank you, Darren. God is looking for people who are prepared to throw their whole lives in regardless of the cost 
It's going to cost us something to follow Jesus Christ. It's going to cost us something. Yes, I could do what everybody else is doing. But I choose not to do what everybody else is doing. Because I want to serve Jesus Christ. Yes, I could do that. And yes, I could go there. And yes, I could do the other thing. But I choose not to do those things for the cause of Jesus Christ. Then there was a fourth group. They stood with Saul, but they were filled with fear. The Bible says Saul remained at Gilgag and the troops were with him, quaking with fear. They can't run because they know it's the wrong thing to do, but they're too afraid to be of any use. Filled with fear, paralyzed with fear. If there's a strategy the enemy wants to use to, to, to stop the church of Jesus Christ, one of the arms he uses, one of the strategies he uses is fear, anxiety. Something bad is going to happen to you. Don't do that. You're going to fail. The fear of failure. The fear that something bad is going to happen. Here were the people of Israel faced with a crisis, an army, uh, an army which was more powerful than them, the Philistines. How did they respond? Well, they joined the enemy. They left the battle. They hid in caves. They stayed, but they were trembling with fear. And then there was Jonathan. Jonathan represents another group of people, those who are willing to take God-ordained risk, the faith risk-takers, number five. Jonathan is with his armour-bearer, and he too can see the battle. He too knows that this battle is difficult. Chances of them winning were close to zero. This is Jonathan. He's seeing exactly what everybody else was seeing. He knows this is a difficult battle. He knows how bad this actu situation actually is. But I just love what he says to his armour bearer. Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or few. I love his spirit of faith. He says, who knows? Maybe God could do something. Who knows? Maybe God could give us the victory. Who knows? Maybe God could intervene. His armor bearer is just as crazy as him. He says, do all that you have in your mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I mean, these are two dudes who have lost their mind completely. And I, I, I just love this. I love that phrase. Who knows, maybe God could do something. Who knows, maybe God could intervene. Who knows? Now, notice there's a sense of faith and expectation in Jonathan, but he hasn't moved yet. Then Jonathan says, let's go to where the Philistines are. You read the story. He says, let's show them we are here. If they come to us, we know that God is not with us. But if they say, come over here, then we will know that God is on our side. Now, let's just pause here for a minute. Jonathan's a risk taker. He has a spirit of faith. There's a spirit of expectation. There's a spirit that God could do something. There's a spirit that, hey, God, God could intervene right here. I love his spirit. He believes that God can do great things through his life. He believes that, but he doesn't move until he is sure that God is with him. I love that about him. 
Some people have great intentions, great plans for the kingdom. They sound spiritual, sound amazing, but they never bother to check if God is in it. They never bother to check if if God is with them in what it is that they want to do. Listen, a good idea is not necessarily a God idea. Difference between faith and fantasy is a very, very fine line, especially when it comes in, in spiritual language and in spiritual terms. I hear this stuff all the time. Difference between faith and fantasy is a word from God. It's a word from God. I hear, I hear people, people use spiritual language to hide sometimes pride and sometimes selfish ambition and, and, and sometimes a whole bunch of other things. And, and they, they, they coach it in spiritual language as if, well, you know, it must be God. Not necessarily. Jonathan, so to speak, puts a fleece out. And he gets a confirmation that God was with him. And then he steps out in faith. He takes a risk, but it's not a human risk. It's a God-ordained risk. And there's a big difference between those two. One of the things I've learned in life, I can take risks. I enjoy taking risks. I I like the, 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 the thrill that risks... I didn't think I was like that, but apparently I am. I'm not afraid to take a risk. But over the years, I've learned that something may seem good, but it's not necessarily God. I didn't learn that phrase from a textbook. I learned it in life. And you've heard me say a thousand times, and I'll say it another thousand. There was a time in my life where I got a revelation of Exodus 33 where Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't send me up from here. And I said, God, you know what? I got all these great ideas. In my, I, got, I got great ideas. I tell God all the time, look at these ideas. Isn't that amazing? Aren't you impressed? And God is amazed. He goes, oh, I never thought of that. You're amazing, you know. So glad to have you on my team, you know. Your presence doesn't go with me. Don't send me up from here. I'm not interested. In that first battle, Jonathan kills 20 Philistines. And the Bible says, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. So the Lord rescued Israel that day. I believe that God is still challenging people to take God-ordained risks. God-ordained risks that will overcome the work of the enemy and build the kingdom of God. I believe that God is still challenging people to take steps of faith like he did Jonathan. I believe that God is speaking to people who are not going to be moved by their emotions, good intentions or good ideas, that they're going to wait for a word from God. They're going to test every impression and then move out in faith once God confirms his will. And they're going to do amazing things for God. I believe that God still wants to speak to the Jonathans here today. I believe that God is still speaking challenging people to take incredible steps of faith by his grace 
and for his glory. How does that all begin? How does that all begin? How, how does a word from God actually begin? I tell you how it begins. It begins with a sense of faith that God can do something. Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, Jonathan said. Who knows? Maybe God may do something. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many. Who knows? God may do something. Come on, let's. He, he positioned himself for God to be able to speak into his life, not just physically, but in his heart and in his mind. Who knows, maybe God can, nothing, nothing can stop God. Nothing can hinder God. Nothing can hinder God. Who knows, maybe God will do something. Who knows, maybe God could use me. Who knows, maybe God could intervene. Maybe God could say, who knows, God could heal. Who knows what God could do. There's a sense of faith. It's a sense of expectation. It's a sense of, you know, I, I got, I got, it's just a sense. That's all it is. But that's where faith begins. Someone said, never undertake anything for God unless it's so big that if God does not intervene, you fail. So look through the Bible. We find many examples of people who took risks. One of those was Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 94 years old when he took his risk. The Bible says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. It was a word from God. It was a risk, but it was a word from God. They obeyed and went. Here with this couple that should have been seeking security, safety, familiarity. Instead, they were willing to take a risk in obedience to God. Stepping out in, into new and exciting ventures for the kingdom of God. Here was this old couple that sh should have been planning their retirement. Instead, they took a God-ordained risk, obeyed the word of the Lord. And God used them in a powerful way. Esther, it's the story of how one woman took a risk in order to save her people. Haman hated Mordecai because he wouldn't bow down to him, so he gets the king to approve the killing of all the Jewish people. So Mordecai dresses himself in sackcloth and cries at the king's gate to stop this massacre. Esther finds out um, that Mordecai, her uncle, is distressed. So she goes to find out what happened and he challenges her to speak to the king. Esther says to Mordecai, if I go to the king, I could be killed. She wasn't just allowed to go into the presence of the king. If she went in uh, uh, and the king didn't want her in there, she could have been killed. He replies, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God will accomplish his purpose with or without us. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a... Who knows that you have not come into this position for such a time as this? Who knows that God has not brought you here for such a time as this? 
Some of us have come from countries all over the world. We could, we could be anywhere right now, but God has brought us here. Who knows? Maybe God wants to do something in and through our lives. So she prays and fasts and then takes the risks and speaks to the king. She saves her life and the lives of the Jews. Young David took a risk when he faced Goliath. Can you imagine this little kid faced with this incredible giant? And, you know, he, there's a sense of faith in him. And he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. There's a real sense that, that in, in, in David's life that, that God was preparing him for this moment. He said to King Saul, you know, I fought a bear and I fought a lion and I fought all these other animals. It was as if God was preparing him for this particular time to fight Goliath. And it wasn't the only enemy he would fight. He would fight even greater giants than that in time. Who knows that God has not been preparing you for such a... Who knows that God has not been preparing you to do something what is next for his kingdom and for his glory? There's the woman with the issue of blood after hearing about Jesus. She hears about Jesus. This Jesus who's doing miracles and, and, and she hears about it. And, and, and she's thinking, you know, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I could be healed. And she's afraid, you know, under the Jewish law, she, was, she shouldn't have been anywhere near Jesus. And, but she, she's thinking, if I, could, if, I could just take, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be made whole. Who knows, maybe could, God could do something. And, and she takes a risk. She seizes the moment. And she was completely made whole. In history, people took great risks and were used by God. Martin Luther took a great risk. He was so fed up with the hypocrisy of the religious church and he nailed a 95-point thesis to the church door and publicly challenged the church. He was pressured to renounce everything he had done and said, but he said, here I stand. I can do no other, so help me, God. Amen. What a, what a, what a powerful man of God. And we stand here because of that particular, we are here because of that particular moment. Because he was a man that was willing to take a risk. William Carey is one of the great missionaries. Carey was so keen to bring the gospel into countries that he didn't know, that didn't know God. He had so many difficulties, but he took a risk and went to India to preach the gospel. It was seven years before he baptized his first convent. I would have been home ages and ages and ages ago. He translated the Bible only to find it was the language which the people did not understand. His wife had a breakdown. He lost his children to the world. He pub his publishing house was burnt down. Yet despite all of his failures, Carey translated the Bible in over 36 languages. And he's well known for his missionary endeavours. He was a man who was prepared to take a risk and bring the gospel to foreign countries. This church here exists because someone took a risk. This church is here today because someone took a risk. Some of these old migrants that came, they weren't old then, they were very young. Uh, when, they were, when they came out to this nation and they said, why don't we start a life group? Why don't, why don't we just meet in someone's house and just begin to pray? Who knows? Maybe God could do something. Who, who knows? Who knows what could come out of this? 
And so they took a risk and they began to meet in this home. And then it began to grow and grow. Also because they had lots of kids, but they began to grow and grow and grow. <laughs> and, and here we are today. All because a group of people were willing to take a risk. How many of us would say an amen? Come on. Just thank God. God is a good God. He's an amazing God. Come on. And many of you are here today because someone took a risk and shared Jesus with you. Someone who was close to you, someone who knew you, and, you know, they had a prompting of the Spirit, talk to them about Jesus. They were scared, afraid. What are they going to think of me? But they took a risk. Why did you to church? And because of that, you're in faith. We need to make a decision in life. Are we going to do what everyone else has done? Be what everyone else has been? Play it safe? We can easily be like the Israelites, join the other side, compromise our faith, play it safe, hide. I see in some sectors of the church, not in this one, but I see some sectors of the church, people want to know where the line is. Pastor Joe, where's the line? Like here, heaven, there, hell. Where's that line? Some people want to live as close to that line as possible. Where's the line, Pastor Joe? Is it, is, it, is it one beer or two beers, Pastor Joe? Which one is it? Can I just say something to you? If you're living with a mindset, no one consciously does this. But if you're thinking like this, I want to get as close to, the, you've already crossed the line a mile ago. You crossed it already ages ago. Samson gets up one day and he says, he says, he got, the Bible says he got up because he was going to shake himself loose, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. He thought he was still on this side. What he didn't know, he'd already crossed the line ages ago. And we can live like that. Come on. We can, we can, we can scrape into heaven. Looking at, you just got in by the skin of your teeth. And we can do that. Seriously, we can. I see people living like that. We can be like the Israelites, compromise, play it safe. Man, well, we can be like a Jonathan. Believe that God could do something. Who knows what God could do with my life? Discern the will of God and then step out in faith and be used by God to do things we could never do on our own. Why would anyone want to go where everyone has gone, do what everyone has done, be what everyone has been when we can risk our life for Jesus and do something that will count for eternity. These old people said, man, if they could do it again, they would risk more. They would take more God-ordained risks. Is there something God has been speaking to you about but you don't have the courage to do it? Is there a step of faith that you need to take? Sometimes we think risk-taking means being a missionary for Jesus. You know, you've got to take these big steps. And for some people, that's exactly what it is. What God is asking you to do is something big. But for, for, for the rest of us, it might just be building a friendship with someone. Speaking to a friend about Jesus. 
going to Bible college, getting married, getting more involved in church. Oh, what am I going to do? What if I fail? Take a risk. Come on, get involved in church. You've got something to offer. We need you. For others, it might be prayer. Take risks in business, enrolling in a course. For some, the risk might be just asking God for something. I just read this morning, I love the story about Caleb. Caleb, you know, uh, Joshua that entered into the promised land and Caleb takes a piece of land and he, and, um, he gives a piece of land uh, to someone who's going to fight these giants and uh, they get the wife and they get, his, they get his daughter and they get this piece of land. Anyway, um, so the daughter... We're not sure whether some translations say it differently, but the daughter asks her husband, she says, why don't you ask Caleb for the springs as well? We need some water to be able to water this land. He doesn't do it, but she ends up doing it. Caleb says, what can I do for you? And, he, and she says, give me the springs so that I can water the land. And the Bible says he gave them to her. Question is this, would she have got them if she didn't ask? Would, would, would she, would she, she got them because she asked. The Bible says, you receive not because you ask not. Maybe for some of us, the, the risk that we need to, is just simply to ask God for something. Let's get a word from the Lord. Step out in faith. Jonathan got a word from God, stepped out in faith and change the course of history. What would happen to the church if Christians undertook God-ordained risks that were so big that unless God intervened, they would fail? Christians that said in their heart, who knows, maybe God, maybe God could do something. Christians who tested every impression, made sure God was in it and then stepped out in faith. Risks that would bring glory and honour to his name and defeat the power of darkness. I pray God is challenging all of us. I'm challenged. I don't know about you, but this word is challenging me. Would you stand with me? I see, when I think about the church, I just see so much potential. I was uh, challenged the other day by a scripture where Paul said to, the, to Romans, it's in the first chapter, Paul says to Romans, he's writing a letter to the Roman church. He says, I pray for you every day. I present your requests every single day to the Lord. I'm praying for you every single day. And as I thought about that, I thought about you. I said, man, I'm, I'm praying for you every day. I'm, I'm praying for us as a church that we would see what God could do through us. I'm praying for us as a church that we're not going to get distracted by superficiality and stupidity, that we're not going to get a, a mindset that says, how close can we get to that line? But instead, there's going to be a spirit inside all of us that's going to say, man, could, who knows what we could do for Jesus? Who knows? Maybe God could use us. Who knows? Maybe this church could be the springboard of a revival for our city and our nation. Who knows what God could do with us? Position ourselves in faith. We're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. If the Word of God is true, it means we are here by divine purpose. And, and, and there's no such thing as accidents. I want to find out what that purpose is. I want to do it. 
And sure, God doesn't call all of us to do big and mighty things, but maybe there's a little thing that God can do. And through that little thing, who knows what the, what the repercussions shall be, the domino effect. I pray that we would have a, a spirit of faith to say, God, who knows what God could do? And then listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit, presenting every idea and every thought to God and then taking steps of faith in obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. How powerful would that be? Can I hear an amen? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now ask the worship team to come. I'm just going to sing a chorus. And I, I, I just really feel to, to, to just do something. Um, there might be... Um, some of you who want to respond this morning to a word, but there might be some of you who are saying, you know, just as I'm speaking that, you know, God has been speaking to you. And it's not just general, it's a bit more specific. And you're saying, God, count me in. Count me in. I'm in. I'm in. Thank you for everything I've got, Lord. But I want, I, I just, I, I want, I want eternity to record something that I did for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. Count me in, Lord God. I want to be used by you. So I just want to, we're just going to sing a chorus. And if, if you really feel like God is speaking to you and, and this message has meant something to you personally, I just want you to come forward. Just stand here. I'm not going to pray for you, anyone individually. It's really between you and God. It's just saying, God, you know what? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Thank you for everything you've given me, God but I'm here to be used by you. Is there something you need done in the corner of this world, somewhere where you need someone to go? Uh, my, my hand is up. Like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Don't send someone else, Lord, send me. I'm willing to go to God. Man, if, if, man, can you imagine if God started to speak to us? Can you imagine if we started to still our spirits, quiet our spirits, and start to learn to hear the voice of the Spirit? And as we hear the Spirit, start to, start to take some steps of faith. Come on, what would happen? Thank God for houses. Thank God for cars. Thank God for everything. Thank God for the blessing of God. That stuff is going to count for nothing in eternity. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ shall last. Count me in, God. Count me in, God. I'm available, Lord God. Like Jonathan, I'm going to be available for you. We're going to sing a chorus. If you want to come, you come. Just come and just, just say, God, I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold out to you. I'm sold out. Just come. Just stand here. Build an altar between you and God. I'm not going to pray for anyone. I'm not going to lay hands on anyone. It's just between you and God. You do it. Just allow God to do something in our lives.